Welcome to The Lead, the New Lines Magazine podcast. I'm Joshua Martin, and this is a podcast where we talk about the biggest ideas, events, and personalities from around the world. We're taking a break this week before season four begins, and so today we're rerunning one of our favourite episodes from season three. There were a lot to choose from. We spoke to David French about the battle for the soul of the American conservative movement, and foreign policy's Ravi Agrawal about the complex relationship between India and America. Erin Brown spoke to Jean Beeman and Shahrazad Dua about the protests against police brutality in France. Lydia Wilson interviewed Mike Martin on war after climate change. And Kwangu Liwewe and Danny Postel spoke to Nisreen Elamin and Khaled Madani about the warring Sudanese generals who'd rather burn the country than give up power. But today, the one we really wanted you to hear is our interview with the BBC's Gabriel Gatehouse, The Age of Conspiracy Theories. He came on to talk about the QAnon conspiracies movement, but the conversation is really about how the internet changed the way our societies process information, and how the failure of traditional institutions has driven the distrust reshaping global politics the world over. QAnon was like the match that lit the fire, he says. And that QAnon was like the match that lit the fire, he says. And the fire is now raging, and it is going to keep on burning, I think, until something quite fundamental changes. If you've never heard the episode before, we hope you enjoy listening. And if you have, we hope you enjoy listening again. We'll be back with a new episode next week as we begin season four of The Lead. Thank you all for joining us. On January 6th, 2021, when supporters of the recently defeated Donald Trump stormed the US Capitol building, one of the attackers in particular stood out. You'll almost certainly have seen pictures of him, a shirtless man with a horned fur hat and a US flag painted on his face, wielding a sign with the message, Q sent me. They were a gift to the media because he really did look quite striking standing there in the halls of the Capitol building. His name is Jake Angeli, though he's better known by his alias, the Q Shaman. But Gabriel Gatehouse, an award-winning foreign correspondent with the BBC, was struck by the sight of him for a different reason. He'd met Angeli the year before while covering the election and had dismissed the man as a fringe weirdo. Angeli's beliefs are certainly bizarre. Last summer, he was indicted for his role in the Capitol riots, but he had been a major figure in the QAnon movement. Members of the movement believed that they were receiving coded messages on an online forum from a high-ranking military figure with Q clearance. These messages, they believed, detailed a plot by a cabal of Satan-worshipping paedophiles, including high-ranking politicians like the Clintons. Former President Trump was said to be spearheading the campaign to bring them down. Fringe conspiracy theories like this are nothing new in American society, of course. But that's the thing. QAnon wasn't and isn't fringe. When polled, as many as a quarter of Republicans believed at least some of it to be true, and in the wake of the 2020 election, several senior Republican figures have explicitly or tacitly endorsed it. And Angeli was far from the only believer to be involved in the capital attacks. Gatehouse wanted to understand how this movement had suddenly become so influential and so began to investigate. He turned that investigation into a podcast which he called The Coming Storm, and he came to an alarming conclusion that QAnon was just the beginning. I'm Faisal Yafai from New Lines magazine. This is The Lead. Gabriel, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Faisal. Good to be here. Thank you. So I, I, I was thinking about this when I, I was listening to your podcast. Tell me, how many times do you think you've said the words, a cabal of Satan, <laughs> a cabal, uh, let me say it for the audience, a cabal of Satan-worshipping paedophiles who've hijacked the US government? But not in that tone, though, Faisal. It's got oh, to be I'm more so sorry. Like a, a cabal of Satan-worshipping paedophiles. You've got to get more. really into the <laughs> close into more, the mic. Yeah. More reverential, uh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, I have said it more times than I care to remember. Um, and one of the things that's interesting, we did a we did an eight-part podcast series about this subject, and then we added a few more um, parts uh, recently, the last couple of months, and we kind of ranged quite widely, uh, ending up. Uh, with Hunter Biden's laptop, funnily enough. Um, mm. But uh, one of the things that we haven't yet touched uh, on, which we will do in a second season that will be coming up um, sometime uh, next year, I think, is, of course, the the paedophile who was uh, did have very high-ranking connections amongst the, the powerful in America and elsewhere, uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Right. right. So, but my point being that, 
uh, I think our, our starting point for looking into QAnon and this idea about a, a cabal of Satan worshipping pedophiles was what is this crazy madness? Mm. But of course, you know, there are elements, as with any powerful conspiracy theory, there are sort of grains of truth and elements of truth hidden somewhere amongst the madness yeah and this is what whenever you talk to QAnon believers this is what comes out they say well this part is true this part is true and this part is true yeah. you say well okay yeah those parts are true and then but they string them together like beads on a necklace and somehow yeah. it's something totally different yeah it's it's one plus one plus one equals three hundred and seventy five thousand nine hundred and eighty four yeah um uh, which is the kind of danger of conspiracy theories but you know the the conclusion that you come to um if you spend enough time looking at this stuff or at least the conclusion that i came to is that you know if if you take QAnon literally and and you take it to mean that a cabal of satan worshiping pedophiles uh, literally con conspired to steal the 2020 election um then of course that's nonsense because the 2020 election wasn't stolen let alone by a cabal of satan worshiping pedophiles but if you kind of take it as a parable which is to say that the world is changing in ways that we can't really quite understand and we think that there are powerful people who are probably uh, more influential than we might imagine uh, and whose identities we don't really know and who are helping to change the world in ways that probably don't really benefit us if you look at it that way then you kind of start to think well you know maybe they're onto something it sounds like you have become a believer. You're part of the system now, I see. Um, but we'll, we'll come to that part. But I, I want, before we start, I, I want to understand for the sake of the audience exactly what we're talking about. Because the reason you went with that, that sentence is that all journalists who've reported on QAnon have faced the problem of trying to figure out how to describe this belief system. Because mm. it, it's complicated. In some ways, it's untethered. Um, so let's start with what is QAnon? Is it a conspiracy? Is it a cult? Is it both? Mm. It's a bit of both. Uh, mm. I, I mean, to start at the beginning, um, this figure known as Q, um, which stands, as you said, for Q clearance, which is a, a real level of clearance, security clearance um, in the US government, in the Department of Energy, for some obscure reason. Mm. Um, they began posting, whoever they are, we don't know um, who they were to start off with. We think we know who they became in the end. But anyway, to start off with, in 2017, it was October 2017, um, and uh, on the 4chan message board, which is a kind of niche uh, message board uh, on the internet, uh, started out as a, as a message board for fans of anime, Japanese animation, but kind of quite rapidly descended into a kind of gathering place for people with far-right ideologies, uh, misogynists, uh, that kind of thing. Anyway, yeah. somebody uh, claiming to have Q clearance in the US government posted a message on 4chan towards the end of October 2017 saying that Hillary Clinton was about to be arrested and this was going to be the beginning of uh, something called the great awakening where members of this cabal of satan worshiping pedophiles who'd captured the levers of power uh, in washington people who came from uh, all sorts of realms really from the world of politics of big finance big tech hollywood uh, this cabal they were going to be rounded up arrested exposed and some of them executed you know so this this person began posting messages in October 2017, uh, and over the next three years, between 2017 and 2020, they posted thousands of messages on uh, 4chan and then later on, a, on another website called 8chan. And mm. uh, they gathered this following that by uh, the election of 2020, so November 2020, was quite significant, but was still regarded as pretty niche. And it wasn't until uh, those same beliefs quite self-evidently had a big role in propelling the crowds into the capital on January the 6th, 2021, that people really paused and started to look at it and realized um, how widespread this belief had become. Is it a cult? Is it a conspiracy theory? I think people who 
who believe in QAnon or who follow QAnon are on a spectrum, right? There are, there are some people who, who are kind of like QAnon, if you like. They, they believe that there was something fishy about the 2020 election results. And, mm. uh, you know, maybe uh, there are people in government who uh, are kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes, but they don't necessarily believe in the big kind of child trafficking elements of it. Right. Uh, and then there are people who believe that... Uh, you know, this is a satanic cult where they're killing children and drinking their blood uh, in, in order to source something called adrenochrome um, to give themselves eternal youth and all this kind of stuff. So, so it's kind of a spectrum in terms mm. of the, the conspiracy theory belief. Was and, anything, and it certainly has cult-like elements. Yeah. Well, was anything that this person, Q, was posting, has any of it been verified? <laughs> I mean, what I mean is, was there anything truthful in there? I mean, was Hillary Clinton arrested shortly? Yeah, Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Hillary Clinton was not arrested. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, so the main the main elements of of the of the things that he was posting all did not come true. I mean, you know, they're, they're, obviously his 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 posts were based on a factual reality, right? He he, the cast of characters that um, this person calling themselves Q. Um, was spinning into a story. These were real people. You know, there was Donald Trump. Um, uh, there was um, Robert Mueller, the, the special prosecutor who kind of led the Russia inquiry, et cetera, et cetera. These were, these were um, characters that propped up again and again in his, um, in his story. And it was a fantasy, really. It was, a, mm. it, that was one of the, the powerful things about it. It was a fantasy world based on real world characters who were, very prominent at that time in, in a very polarized media landscape. It's political fan fiction, really. Kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. But why do you think then, I mean, there must be lots of people on these messaging boards saying things like this. Why do you think he, this person, we're assuming it's a man, why did this person get so much traction? So one of the reasons that QAnon took off in the way it did was because it's different from most conspiracy theories in one key way. So take, for example, um, the conspiracy theory about who killed JFK, you know, that the, the, there must have been a, a second shooter, that it couldn't just have been Lee Harvey Oswald working alone because of the you know, trajectory of the bullets and the extra gunman on the grassy knoll and, and whatnot. Um, we've all seen the, the, um, the uh, Oliver Stone movie. Yeah. Um, this is... This is information that is is kind of delivered top down from people who who have studied uh, this incident, and they are imparting this quote unquote information about uh, how you know Lee Harvey Oswald wasn't acting alone. It's you, you're and if you if you believe in that conspiracy theory, you you're a sort of passive recipient of that secret knowledge and people yeah. like secret knowledge because it, it makes them feel powerful mm. QAnon is slightly different because this figure called q was encouraging his followers to quote unquote do their own research do their own work mm. research the he, he would post um information in the form of cryptic questions and riddles uh, on, on 4chan and 8chan. And the followers would then go online and go down internet rabbit holes and start, quote unquote, doing their own research. And in this way, they were, they felt like they were taking part in what was, what many QAnon followers described to me as a plan to save the world. So there was a, there was a sort of messianic element to this and, and the people who fell down this rabbit hole felt like they were doing something good and useful and it was providing meaning to their life and i think that is one of the key elements that allowed it to take off hmm. but then why do you think if they are doing their own research there must have been elements that they were uncovering that tallied with reality there must have been something that they were finding out and saying, well, that really is a place that really did happen. I mean, for example, with the Kennedy assassination, as you say, all of these things about the bullet and the entry wound and whatever else. Right. But then there are aspects that really did happen, which are extremely odd, like Jack Ruby shooting Oswald. Mm. And you yeah. think, OK, that's a very odd thing. How do you explain that? So you can see. But what, what was happening with QAnon and the things that Q was posting that his, well, his followers were? So, for example, the the the, the Russia inquiry, um, the the Mueller 
uh, inquiry into Donald Trump's links to Russia was a very, very big deal um, in QAnon circles. And the narrative um, that uh, Q was pushing and that his followers believed was that um, this whole story about whether or not Donald Trump um, was a Russian agent was uh, a confected story confected by the liberal mainstream media, but not just the media, the Justice Department, the FBI, the people in the establishment with power in America. It was confected by them in order to try to discredit Donald Trump. And furthermore, to get him out of office because they feared his pursuit of the of, of the cabal of satanic pedophiles. Right? They, they, they feared that Donald Trump was about to expose them as a mm. cabal of satanic pedophiles, and therefore they'd confected this idea that Donald Trump was a Russian agent. Now, there are basically elements of truth to that, because Donald Trump, as far as we know, it turns out, was not a Russian agent, right? <laughs> this whole idea that he was, that he was like literally working for the Kremlin um, was... In fact, its own kind of a conspiracy theory that many in the in the kind of liberal establishment world um, yeah. ended up believing in. Uh, so, so that kind of element, and and you know, why did they believe this? Did they want to discredit Donald Trump? Well, kind of, yeah, they did. You know, that's politics, but, right? Right, that's politics, right? But then, but then, when you take it a step further, why did they want to discredit Donald that's Trump? Well, because right. because they were worried about him uncovering the fact that they were a cabal of satanic pedophiles. That's where you're like, ah, yeah. hold on, a that's the bit. Yeah, okay. he's doing what now? Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the that uh, that's the aspect of there's a lot actually quite a lot of reality, and then at the very end, the tail end of that reality, you say, and so why is he doing all of this? And that's where the conspiracy comes in, and that part, of course, has no there are no facts behind it except, as you said, actually, well, there are some things like except Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein, except you know Jeffrey I mean? Epstein, so, yeah, so, you know, it 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 does become. Uh, it, it becomes quite complicated when you start looking. If you start looking into this and and you and you profess to go in there with a with a totally open mind, um, in fact, you're going to go a little bit mad because um, you know there's there's just so much stuff out there, so much nonsense that you can't you know you can't possibly um, follow up every crazy lead you have to kind of uh, pick your battles as it were and follow up the the leads that if you're if you're looking for elements of truth which yeah. in some cases we were in this podcast um and 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 to be clear i would just like to make it clear i do not believe that america is run by a cabal of satanic pedophiles but if you're looking for the the, the kind of the grains of truth that that created the grit in the oyster that created this giant conspiratorial pearl that yeah. was um qanon you've got to pick and choose right so you, you you've got to um avoid the stuff that kind of just instinctually looks absolutely kind of crazy sometimes you have to crunch the numbers so you know one, one of the one of the things that QAnon believers often um uh say is that i can't remember the exact figure but it's somewhere in the, in the realms of like four hundred thousand um children in the united states are kidnapped and trafficked every year okay now wow. That so that could be true. That, I don't know. Well, it, it, it behoves one to kind of have a look into this, right? And mm. I, I can't remember the exact figures, but um, it turns out that that figure of several hundred thousand is the number of missing persons reports so, that that have um, been filed by right, parents right, uh, across right, the whole right. year um, uh, in the United States. Uh, obviously, the vast majority of those are, you know, teenagers who've run away from home right. uh, for an afternoon and have then exactly. come back and had a big argument with their parents and have been yeah. grounded and, you know, no more TV for the rest of the week. Um, uh, so, uh, but of course, you know, there are children who are uh, kidnapped and trafficked and that does happen. Yeah. Um, and obviously, there are bad people and there are pedophiles out there. So and that figure is a real figure, which if you were doing your own research... is a real research, figure that relates to something. It just yeah. doesn't relate to you, what they you'd say. You'd find it somewhere on some official exactly. website and say, okay, so that's what they're talking about. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But I wonder, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in the QAnon conspiracy and the way that it overlaps with other... Um, I mean, other conspiracy theories like the anti-vaxxers, mm. like the people who think the pandemic was fake, those sorts mm -hmm. of things. Mm. Is it... 
is there something about the modern world, the, the way that politics is done today, that keeps throwing up these kinds of conspiratorial movements? I think so. I, I, I think, and the conclusion I came to from researching this subject is that we reach for conspiracy theories when the world doesn't make sense to us, right? Mm. Um, so just to go back to the Russia analogy for a moment, because it's, you know, as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, the Russia story about Donald Trump actually being an active Kremlin agent was a conspiracy theory that the kind of liberal mainstream latched onto. Why did they latch onto it? Because something happened in um, November 2016 that completely shattered their idea of how the world was supposed to work, right? Everyone was convinced that Donald Trump could not win the election. You know, uh, you remember the, the clip of George Clooney going... Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump's not going to be president of the United <laughs> States. You know I mean? yeah. And then yeah. five minutes later, ooh. Yeah. Ooh, bloody hell. And of course, that's Clooney. I mean, he's a liberal darling. Right. Hollywood exactly. League, exactly. You know. yeah. But, yeah. But, 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 you know, many of us were kind of in the Clooney camp in the sense that we believed the polls. We believed the polling experts who said that, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton had whatever it was, like a 90% chance of, of winning, that Donald Trump... Um, was basically uh, an idiot, and he, and he couldn't. You know, there, there was no way he could win, right? Yeah. That was that was, the, that was the narrative going into, and so and then it happened, right? Yeah, so yeah. so then everyone was kind of grappling round for, well, how could this have happened? It couldn't have just happened, right? It could like either the world can't be that. Yeah, right. the world can't be that face the fact that our, yeah. our our whole worldview was skewed and we need to rethink our worldview, which is a hard thing to ask somebody to do. Yeah. Or we go, oh, wow, some, there must have been some kind of conspiracy, some kind of dark forces uh, operating behind the scenes, e.g. the Russians, um, who, who made this impossible thing happen, right? Yeah. So, and I think, you know, the world, the modern world is a very confusing place right now right the, yeah. the certainties that our parents and our grandparents grew up with even though they lived through difficult and uncertain times you know there was this kind of post-war um idea of uh, ever-increasing prosperity that you could expect to be a little bit better off than your parents and your children could expect to be a little bit better off than you and you might have a job in a in a factory for life or and you'd have a decent pension and you know even if your life wasn't that great you know it was kind of it was stable right yeah yeah and all of that has kind of gone out the window partly because of new technology uh, and uh, partly for other economic reasons uh, and so the world is a more confusing place and people are reaching for explanations as to why these certainties um, have suddenly been shattered. And, and I think a conspiracy theory is, a, is in some ways a, a comforting thing to reach for because it, it means that you don't have to um, look at yourself too much. You don't have mm. to look in the mirror right you don't like if you believe that the russians made donald trump win the presidency in 2016 you don't have to look at well where did where did liberal america go wrong like why mm. yeah how could hillary clinton lose right. yeah as exactly how yeah yeah hmm. i mean i wonder sometimes if you think that the reason uh has less to do with these particular conspiracy theories, but to do, and you've talked about living through a particular political moment. But if one of the theses I think you said in the series is that a lot of this is the result of the internet. And it's yeah. because technology has changed the society quite fundamentally in the last, what, 15 years, 20 years? Yeah, I mean, I was I, I was trying to um, divide it up into decades the other day in my head. And I think that certainly in my life as a journalist, I think the the biggest... 10 years of change was between 2006 and 2016 let's say because that was really the age where you know social media took over um not just journalistic work but all of our lives so if you think back to 2006 social media was something you know we were we were kind of noodling around on facebook to keep in touch with our family and friends uh five years after that you know facebook is basically driving the arab spring right and it's toppling um, dictators <laughs> across north africa and the middle east mm. um 
and and everyone's like oh way this is great look at social media it's a force for good in the world five years after that it's 2016 and it's an avalanche of fake news yeah uh, and and it helps arguably helps um bring in uh donald trump and so so uh you know society or at least liberal society has done a kind of uh, a 180 degree turn and they're like uh, you know, they've gone from great social media can help bring down the established order to oh shit, social media social can media, help bring exactly. down the established oh order. My God, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens, right? Exactly. Right. And they start to the the people that they were deifying previously as these as these founders of these tech companies, they start to say, as you see with right. Cambridge Analytica, so what are you really up to? And they start exactly. to have hearings and look into it more closely. And exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at these people, and suddenly, they're no longer the kind of idealistic um, guys in their early 20s who just want to make the world a more uh, equal and equitable place. They're people with shareholders in the bottom line, and they're suddenly very, very powerful, arguably more powerful um, than the government that you think you voted for, right? So, And they're not, you know, no one voted for these guys, and they're kind of running the world. You know, yeah. so, you know, that's the kind of that's the element where you start thinking, oh, it's a cabal. It's people who we don't know who they are, like not so much Zuckerberg because he's so, so visible. But yeah, know, yeah, exactly. But other people, people right. like Peter Thiel, and he's right. also become more visible now. But, you know, yeah. back then he was sort of somebody in the shadows um, and people start wondering, you know, what, what are these guys doing? How, how come these guys are, are, are running my life and how are they running my life? And mm. And then when you start to explore it, it's a little bit like in, in a British context, the, the corruption that's happening now with the Tory party, that you start right. to look into it and you go, well, this person knows that person and they're connected to this person and that person. And, you know, Silicon Valley is actually very small if you talk about the 2000s before yeah. it becomes much bigger. Yeah. Of course, all these people know each other in some way. Yeah, but exactly. when you fast forward 10 years and there's a lot of power attached to it, and you know, in Peter Thiel's case, a great deal of money, yeah. suddenly it looks like there could be a cabal. Yeah. And, and also, like, what is a cabal, right? And what is a conspiracy? Like, does it have to be um, does it have to be illegal? Because in a way, uh, you know, the, the British establishment has has wow. always been run by a cabal. I mean, that's the whole point of, of sending your children to private schools, right? So they can join the cabal. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah. Um, and, and America really is no different even though um you know arguably the the um the social mobility is uh, is a bit more vibrant in the united states than it is in in britain and there are kind of different class pressures it's yeah. the same thing it's the same right? thing it's, it's, you it's, look at the people who get into power they are right. almost all wealthy before they get into power right indeed and 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 even if they're not you know once you join that club you yeah. are looking out for each other's interests and, yeah. and it was interesting yeah. like when we started doing our research for the coming storm um you know we our starting point was okay hillary clinton is kind of at the center of this conspiracy theory so let's go back to the 90s let's look at the clintons and and see where do these where do these conspiracy theories come from and if you look at you know how power um and and wealth uh, worked in Arkansas in the hmm. 1980s and early 90s when you know Bill Clinton was the governor and Hillary was a partner at um, one of the biggest law firms, the Rose Law Firm. You know, this was a very incestuous world where um, you know big business, big law, and politics—they were all friends and they were all um, you know helping each other out. Was right. it illegal? Well, uh, you know, the, the the Republicans spent most of the 90s trying to nail the Clintons on some kind of illegal financial uh, improprieties through the, the kind of whitewater investigations. And they really got nowhere. And in the end, they got Bill Clinton on sex. Mm. Um, but, you know, it, in a way, it was kind of legalized corruption you could describe it as such you know it, it's like it's the old boy network it's the it's the friends you know um and they're helping each other out and making sure that um you know if you get in trouble you can get out of it again and you can right. make a lot of money and of course that wasn't just happening in, in arkansas it was happening in minnesota it was happening in texas it's just we and know about in washington and increasing in Washington, but it, but it happened. We know about Arkansas because of Clinton, because of all those people who were doing the same thing in various states. It was Clinton who went on to attain national yeah. power. Yeah. Although, so actually, yeah. although some one person did say to me um, during my research for the podcast, they said, "Arkansas, by the way, 
is the Sicily of America. <laughs> it's like the most <laughs> corrupt place. Um, and I think, and there was this famous quote by um, Webb Hubble, who was one of um, Bill Clinton's friends from Arkansas, who came up with him to Washington um, in 1993, and in the end did actually end up going to jail, um, uh, partly due to the Whitewater investigation um, and some financial improprieties. But he was fond of saying, it's not a conspiracy, it's Arkansas. <laughs> so so Arkansas does have a kind of special place in the in the origin story mm. of all of this. Well, some of the some of the Arkansas um, stories you explore in the podcast and you talk about the way that uh, QAnon and other these conspiratorial beliefs, they do well because they're being promoted by powerful interests. And in Arkansas, for example, there was this I mean, Republican strategists were trying to seed conspiracy theories about the Clintons. As you say, they later got him on sex. But earlier than that, they were trying to find a way to bring him down. Again, normal politics. But some of those conspiracy theories have ended up being part of this mythology of QAnon. Yeah, absolutely. Something called the, the Clinton body count. And, and you'll find people referring to this. And, and it's this idea that, you know, the Clintons have had upwards of 50 people murdered you know political opponents people who quote unquote knew too much mm. um and uh you know again with seeds of truth like the, the not the first body in this quote unquote body count um but but certainly one of the most important is vince foster who was a um lawyer again a friend from arkansas colleague of hillary's at the rose law firm who came up with bill and hillary from arkansas in 1993 to take up um, a position in the White House, Deputy White House Counsel, uh, you know, the second most senior lawyer in the White House. And he then commits suicide um, about six months into Bill Clinton's first term in a park in Virginia. Now, um, this case, the Vince Foster case, um, became uh, one of the kind of most prominent uh, pieces of this conspiracy theory. People um, suspected that there was foul play, uh, that he had in fact been murdered. Um, and therefore, why had he been murdered? Well, it must have been because he, um, quote unquote, knew too much about the Clinton's financial dealings. And therefore, they, you know, they, they knocked him off to get him out of the way and stop him from testifying. Now, hmm. obviously, that uh, that is not the case, as far as we know, as far as we know, he committed suicide. But what is the case is that the the uh, initial police investigation into his suicide was into his death, let's say, was was riddled with holes. Right. There was all kinds mm, of inconsistencies. Right, right. Exactly like JFK. Of, right. Exactly. Right. Uh, all kinds of witnesses <laughs> who gave testimony that ran counter to what eventually mm. became the official narrative. They uh, their testimony was either changed in FBI transcripts or they simply weren't called. Um, there was a prosecutor who was hired by Ken Starr, who was the guy who eventually kind of whose investigations eventually led to the Lewinsky scandal. This prosecutor apparently wanted to open a murder investigation, um, but, uh, you know, Ken Starr kind of um, uh, cut that short and, 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 and you know, uh, he basically forced him to resign. You know, they're all and all of these things are factually true. Right. Mm. There, there were there was a lot of shenanigans going on surrounding the Vince Foster investigation. However, there is no proof and no suggestion that that he that he was murdered right? The, the, right it's it's putting two and two together and making much more than four uh, and even much more than five right the, the the much more plausible explanation for this is that you know the initial people on the scene were the were the u.s parks police because it happened in a national park very inexperienced in in any kind of uh, investigating any kind of death um they probably moved the body right. uh, before they should have done before they got to photograph it uh, uh, which would explain, you know, various unaccountable blood stains on bits of his body that shouldn't have been there if they hadn't. You know, th yeah. there are explanations for this, but um, but you know, the the fact that they then tried to presumably tried to cover up um, the mistakes they made in the investigation uh, then led people to believe that something extremely fishy had gone on. On a personal note, I mean, you spent a long time interviewing people like this and thinking about these issues. And now, as you say, you're doing a follow-up podcast and you're spending most of this year, I imagine, doing this. Like, on a personal level, how do you stop yourself slipping into these conspiratorial thinking? Well, actually, uh, you know, it's hard. Mm. It is hard because um, while I was doing the podcast... You know, and I was looking into like who were the people who were spreading this these conspiracy theories, 
um, and and I came across uh, you know a, a particular book called The Sovereign Individual, which was um, written by two guys who ran an investment newsletter. You know, they were all about. Uh, you know, making money out of investments. Um, but they'd written this book that was actually quite um, prophetic in a way. They'd written it in the in the mid-late 90s, mid-second half of the 90s. And it, it was very accurate about how the internet was going to change the world, right? They, they, they kind of predicted cryptocurrencies, uh, internet trolls and bots. Uh, they, they predicted the gig economy, the kind of end of the stable job and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. And they, uh, they wrote in this book in 1997, it was published, that um, it, the, the internet would eventually destabilize the, the, the democratic nation state to such an extent that it would collapse. And their book was a sort of guidebook on how to kind of be ready for this and profit from that chaos right right now these guys were also spreading clinton conspiracy theories uh, and the more i pulled at these threads the more i found people who were linked to them who were involved in not just spreading clinton conspiracy theories in the 90s but spreading um QAnon in the 2020s and conspiracy theories about how the 2020 election was stolen which of course kind of led to this assault on the capitol and, you know, at some point, I started to become one of these people with, you know, little red post-it notes up all over my wall with little bits of string, you know, kind of <laughs> connecting all these people. And, and, I, and I genuinely started to think, hold on a second, what if, what if these guys in the 90s were like seeding conspiracy theories about how corrupt uh, the democratic establishment was so that then, you know, 25 years later, um, a mob would go and storm the capital and possibly bring down U.S. democracy so that they could then profit from it, because that is what they've been writing about. Right. Now, you know, it, uh, in the end, I had to sort of slap myself a little bit and go, right. and kind of take a deep breath here. Um, uh, you know, is is this really what was going on? Did these people plan all of this 25 years in advance? No, of course, they probably didn't. Right. But on the other hand, you know, they were quite they they were quite open uh, about the fact that they thought that democracy was going to end, that they wanted to profit from it. Um, and people like Peter Thiel, who um, had been, you know, funding uh, some of the kind of more people on the on the on the far right who were pushing the 2020 election conspiracy theories, has also said uh, uh you, you know that that he doesn't believe in democracy anymore you know and 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 this this sovereign individual book is one of his favorite books hmm. so uh, is it a conspiracy or is it just people um pursuing their interests uh and is, where is the line between those between those two things you know it, it, it's the kind of flip side of the coin between what we were talking about earlier about you know the cabal and, and corruption legalized corruption the old boy network um, you know, are they conspiracies or is that just the way the world works? Right. And then just every so often we see a little glimpse of the reality. Right. That someone lifts the curtain and we get a mm. glimpse backstage. Exactly. exactly. One of the things I like about the podcast is that you spend time actually talking to believers, to the QAnon um, supporters, and you try to engage with them. Yeah. And something that seems to come up every time is this idea, you said earlier, that they're fighting for the truth. They're, they're, mm. they're fighting for something higher than themselves they're going to restore the truth or that you know they've been lied to for decades and now they know the truth mm. but they keep talking about truth they mm. keep talking about facts they keep talking mm. about things that have happened in the real world we just don't know about them mm. and i wonder if do you think that they really are concerned for the truth or is is it just a way of sounding righteous no i i think I think a lot of these people are very genuine. I mean, there there are a few of them who who are completely cynical, don't believe in any of it, but are pushing it anyway for political or other reasons. And, and I met a few of them as well. But you know, by and large, I would say that most of the QAnon believers that I've spoken to genuinely um, feel like something is amiss. Then mm -hmm. they are being lied to. They feel like people like me. Um, from the quote-unquote mainstream media have been lying to them for decades um, and they feel like the internet has put this powerful tool in their hands to connect with people and uncover 
the hidden truth. And I think they genuinely believe it. Um, And I think that, you know, in a way, the world, the world is a very complex and complicated and difficult to understand place. And in a way, you know, we were talking about how the internet had fundamentally changed journalism earlier. You know, before the advent of the internet, it was essentially the job of people like me uh, and you um, uh, to be gatekeepers of information, right? We would would sift through tons and tons of stuff uh, and pick out the things that we thought were worthy of attention uh, and were true, and we would then present them to the public, and the public could, you know, believe them or not. As they yeah. like, but but we were the we were the gatekeepers, and also um, crucially, the public didn't really have much of a way to respond. They could respond. Or, they could write a letter, yeah. but you know. yeah, they didn't have much of a way to respond, or or indeed less of a way to check whether what we mm, were saying right, was actually right, true. Right, right, yeah, um, yeah. right, and and That's the internet a big part of it, yeah, yeah, and the, and the internet changed all of that, and of course, you know what it revealed is that um, journalists. Establishment journalists are fallible and human like everybody else. Um, So sometimes uh, there are, you know, bad people who are lying to you. Sometimes there are people who are, um, uh, have been duped by uh, powerful uh, institutions or individuals into perpetuating a lie, right? We could think of, we could think of the whole run up to the war in Iraq. Yeah, I was actually, (laughs) particular Um, individuals who are still in the news. Uh, right, right. Uh, you, you know, I'm not saying that the people um, at, uh, at the kind of uh, New York Times and the Washington Post or the BBC who 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 pursued this idea that you know Iraq was developing its weapons of mass destruction that they were deliberately mendacious. But you know, journalists were taking uh, unverifiable intelligence briefings yeah. from government agencies and yeah. putting them out there in an unquestioning way. And those intelligence briefings turned out to be false somewhere along the line. Someone was lying to us. Right. Yeah. So these people who believe that the mainstream media, quote unquote, uh, has been lying to them, they have some grounds, some legitimate grounds to believe that. Now, uh, going down an internet rabbit hole and latching on to um, all sorts of um, information uh, whose provenance is dubious and, and, and the sourcing of which is e- even more questionable um, is not necessarily the solution to that, but it's certainly um, it's an explanation for why people do that and, and why that, that genuine mistrust is there. Well, I thought that was one of the most fascinating parts of the coming storm, that there was some introspection about your own personal responsibility as a member of the media. Mm. Um, and you mentioned, as we said in the introduction, you you met Jake Angeli, and then, but you dismissed him as a kook. Yeah. And yeah. listening to the show, I got the impression that that was something that actually bothered you now. It, it really did. Not just because, uh, you know, on the day I'd missed a scoop, because, of course, it would have been great to have had a, an interview in the bag with this um, with this guy yeah. um, who was there all over the Capitol. And, you know, it would have been a great journalistic um, scoop for, for a few days. And I would have felt happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I it bothered me because I realized that I um, had not given his story uh enough thought and time i hadn't i hadn't asked myself this is obviously nonsense right but Mm. what does it mean why does he believe it that's what i that was the question i hadn't asked myself there must be a reason why he believes this um and uh you know even though we shouldn't take the the pure kind of substance of his story seriously uh, we should take seriously the the question of why does he believe this and, and what is the underlying meaning, right? It's not true, but it means something. What is it telling us about the world that we live in? And so in a way, that was kind of the question um, that I was trying to answer with this podcast. Mm. I'm not sure I've quite answered it yet, but thankfully there's going to be a second season. The the other part that I thought was very intriguing about it was that when you mentioned uh, 4chan, this uh, mm. website, and you uh, you say in the podcast that you hadn't heard of 4chan before. And, and mm. I was having a, a conversation with our producer, and he was saying, look, if 
when he was a teenager, he's a young man. If he were, if he, when he was a teenager, he had heard you say, "Oh, I don't know who Four Chan is." Mm. He would have thought that's the, the point at which he stops taking you seriously because it was right. such an influential part of the online landscape. Mm-hmm. But now, mm-hmm. you know, ten years later, he has no idea what uh, teenagers what the, today the are. Next Four Chan is exactly. And so, isn't there something terrifying about that? I mean, there could be something worse than QAnon mm-hmm. brewing on, I don't know, Discord or whatever it is. Yeah, at the yeah, moment. yeah. Well, there yeah, almost certainly don't is. know about it. Yeah, there almost certainly is. I mean, uh, you know, I think. Um, that's interesting that that your producer said that um and i think um you know this is another uh, without wanting to make this kind of very navel gazing and introspective and about journalism um but another thing that really bothers people about um establishment journalists is this slight affectation that they that they know more about the world than everyone else that they've got all the answers that they you know mm. and i think uh, and this was the approach that I tried to take in the coming storm. It's very important to um, recognize your own blind spots, your own biases uh, and your own limitations and your own ignorance as a journalist. In fact, you know, it's your job as a journalist not to know the answer to everything, but to seek the answers to things. And I think sometimes that gets a little lost. Hmm. I mean, there is a tendency, I think, to... Uh, I mean, certain journalists to affect a like a jaded, world weary pose, exactly. where everything that comes up, you've seen it, it all before. Exactly, it fits <laughs> into a pre-established right. set of ideas. Right, and of course, and, and the world we, isn't you know the world isn't like that. But we all do have biases, right? We, you know, especially coming from a from a BBC background, uh, you know, unbiased and impartiality is incredibly important. Yeah, um, and and I. I maintain that's true. And I think, you know, the BBC tries hard to do that. But of course, you know, you can't, you're not a, you're not a tabula rasa when you walk into a situation, you come from a background, a personal background, a cultural background, all kinds of things have, uh, have gone into what makes you a person. And you right. can't, you can try and leave some of that at the door. And, and that's admirable. Great. Give it a go. But you won't be able to leave all of it at the door. So, so, so the answer to that is to be open to, having your having your views challenged um uh by other people and to be uh open to looking into things that that make you feel uncomfortable because it's outside of your comfort set which mm. you know fortran obviously was for me because i oh, yeah. I, I should have heard of it right but but i haven't well we're we're coming to the end but i wanted to ask you a little bit about i mean where you think qanon is I and mean, that's one of the most alarming things about this you know, Q Q related Q-ish conspiracy milieu is that mm. it's very adaptable. Mm. And you get to the point where you question whether something really is Q and on anymore or it's mm. moved into something else. It's metastasized. Mm. And I wonder so I want to ask you about that and then about the, the global part of it. But first on that. Well I think if you take a fire as a metaphor, QAnon was was like the match that lit the fire uh, of this um, more widespread sense that they're lying to us, there's a conspiracy, uh, and they're up to no good. QAnon was like a, a match that lit it. And, and, but by now, this is, a, this is a great big roaring fire um, in the grate. And, and, and it doesn't really help us very much to, to ask kind of what's happened to that match. Uh, mm. The match has done its job. Uh, and the fire is now raging and it is going to keep on burning, I think, um, until until something quite fundamental uh, changes. Uh, and I don't know what that fundamental change might be, but, you know, certainly in America um, and not just on the right, like we, we focus a lot about people on what we usually think of as on the right of the political spectrum, but but we see this on the left absolutely as well. Um, the level of mistrust in the establishment and this kind of all-pervading sense that the establishment has failed and is is now basically fighting a rearguard action just to protect its own interests. This is very, very widespread. Um, and, and I feel now as if there's the, the, the establishment the center, if you like, is, is being assailed from all sides, from the right, from the left, 
and 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 various other other uh, directions. And I I I feel like um, something has to give at some point. You know, I, I, that 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 Yates quote. Yeah. Um, things fall apart the the center cannot hold uh near anarchy is loosed upon the world you know I, I i do feel like we are we are approaching that and but i don't know in what time frame if we take the analogy of the fire that you used do you think then that there's anything that can be done or do we have to sit back and let it burn itself out well this is this is the other question and it, in a way um uh this is a, this is a very deep question because because the, the 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 underlying implication of that question is that the 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 establishment the 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 system of of government and 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 the way the world is run at the moment should be preserved um at all costs or at least the idea that it would not that there will come a point where it's it, it doesn't last it collapses is very very mm. scary and of course it is scary we look at any any country um where the system has collapsed no matter how unpleasant that system may have been you know look at libya under gaddafi or whatever you know that the collapse of that system brought with it um, a lot of grief and and and, yeah. and difficulty yeah. and pain yeah. um so so obviously a lot of people are desperately invested in um in maintaining the system, not just the people who who stand to gain most from it, but people who just you know don't fancy um, years and years of of chaos and strife. Um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, given that we are facing uh, a climate crisis, um, the, the, the the of a kind that that our establishment seems utterly ill-equipped to deal with you know maybe we need to ask ourselves um perhaps you know that the way the world works at the moment is really is really not very healthy and and that something does need to change now uh, you know so, so all of the that's not i just haven't really answered your question but these are the kinds of questions that are that, that come to my mind um when you ask the question what can be done to to put the fire out um uh, you know, maybe, maybe saving what's here is not necessarily the best solution. I'm not saying that I I believe that, but that's that's a it's a it's a question that is raised by by your question. Gabriel Gatehouse, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm sorry to leave it on such a bleak note. Thank you. <laughs> this has been the lead by New Lines Magazine. You can listen to The Coming Storm wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can find Gabriel on Twitter at GGatehouse. This week's episode was produced by Joshua Martin and hosted by me, Faisal Yafar. For more like this, subscribe to The Lead on your favorite podcast app or visit our website, newlinesmag.com.